Good morning. It's good to be with you guys, and uh, I'm excited you're here. If you're online with us, we're excited that you're tuning in. My name is Jared Clary. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is exciting to be able to bring the word with you. Tracy is hanging out with his family and getting some some good time with them, and so we'll be glad to have him back. He has uh, been gone all week, and so what's the saying? When the cat's away, the mice will play, but... uh, We've had fun this week, but we have missed him, and we're excited for him to get back. I realize today that for a lot of you guys, then school starts tomorrow or this week, maybe Tuesday, depending on the schedule. Some of y'all have already been in school, but we are praying for you, parents. The kids will be all right, but uh, we're praying for y'all parents that have to get them up when they've been sleeping in, and uh, we're excited for what God's going to do in and through you guys this year, and so we're excited for that, but we are praying for you and for what the Lord has this year for you. Hey, we're in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be covering verses 5 through 55, so we got a big text. Luke wrote a lot. And so unless we wanted to spend about five years in it, then we've got some big text. But I'm really excited about this text because it breaks down in two parallel passages. So we've got scene one that's going to break down, and then we've got scene two that's going to break down, and they're going to parallel in each step of the way. And so what Luke is doing here at the very beginning is he's setting up this contrast. And so it's helpful to remember Why did Luke write this gospel? Well, Tracy talked about that last week. If you weren't here, then you need to go check that out. It's such an awesome message, just reaffirming what is Luke doing? Well, Luke tells us right at the very beginning that he's writing this letter, O Theophilus, or lover of God. He's writing this letter to give an orderly account so that you can have certainty. He spent a lot of time researching facts going and talking to people, recording dates, recording people, recording places. This is all historical facts. This is all um, biblical facts from the Old Testament stuff. This is all verifiable facts. And so Tracy talked about this worldview that that creates and how Luke is really saying, hey, this Christian worldview answers life's biggest questions and can give you certainty about the Christ about the Savior, about the promised one, the Messiah. And so Luke is, is writing for this. Now, this is going to be important to remember as we continue to walk through Luke. And so Luke's writing that they could have certainty. And then it's really interesting because immediately he starts out and, and opens up these scenes. And we're going to see one scene is unbelief, even though they have facts. And the other scene is belief, even though they lack facts. And so let's pray that the Lord would do an awesome work this morning as we read his word. Lord, we come to you and we ask, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, we know that when we come to your word that that you have something for us. Lord, that your word demands a response from us, whether that's a response of praise and affirmation, whether that's a response of singing Lord, or whether that's a response to repent and to believe. Lord, we know that your word demands a response. And so, God, would you work in our hearts this morning that as we hear your word, Lord, our hearts would respond in faith. Our hearts would respond in obedience. God, would you do it in us? Amen. 
All right, so let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and, and let's just begin. This is scene 1. Okay, it says, Luke records, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, there's a lot in that. Anytime you watch a movie, read a book, then the beginning is always the setup, right? So we get introduced to this scene, right? It's like the, a scene appears, and, and you've got, in the days of Herod, this is historical evidence, gives us a setting of Israel is in this place where they don't think they would be, right? They're, they're Herod's reigning, they're in Judea, and there's a priest named Zechariah. And then we find out a little bit more about Zechariah. Zechariah is of the division of Abijah. And he has a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Okay, Aaron is a pretty important lineage. It's this priestly line. And her name's Elizabeth. And so we see right at the beginning, we're beginning to put, okay, who are our main characters? And we've got Zechariah and we've got Elizabeth. And so we find out about them that they're righteous before God. Now, that's an important point. Man, let it be said of me that I'm righteous before God, right? Like, this is incredible that they're righteous before God. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, remember this because we're about to unpack a little bit more, and it's going to be easy to kind of bust on Zechariah. But remember, he's righteous before God. He's keeping the laws. Zechariah's like a good church staff member. Right? He's like a, a church guy. He's like a good church member, maybe. Like, I used to say a church rat. He knows the inner workings of the church. He knows where everything's at. He knows the laws, and he's been keeping them. He's righteous before God, walking blamelessly. But then verse 7, we find that, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So no child, which in this day and age, in the culture, in the context of this time, then, then that was like a curse. If you've ever struggled with infertility or maybe you still struggle with infertility, you're familiar with this feeling. That you long for a child and it's really hard every time that there's another birth announcement. Or it's really hard every time that it's another negative. And so they're advanced in years, meaning that they've already come to the reality that that ship has sailed. They're not just hopeful for a child. They're now living in the reality that they won't have a child. This is the setting in which we come to. Verse 8 continues. Now, while he was serving, Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the house of incense this is right in line with the custom again Luke is recording this you can verify it he's like it makes sense this is all according to their custom the priest would go in 
And he would offer sacrifice for himself, then he would offer sacrifice for the people. And so Zechariah is gone into the temple, and all the people are outside watching and praying. Because this is our mediator. This is the guy who goes to the Lord on our behalf. They're all eagerly watching and praying for him. Now, culture and custom would say sometimes they would tie a rope on him. They would put bells on to see like, okay, to walk into the presence of a holy God is a fearful thing. And things could go wrong real quick. So the priest would, would have these washings that he would do. And so after each time that he went in, he would come out, he would wash, and then he would have new linens put on each time that he would go in. And so all the people are watching. They're waiting. And look at what happens. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. It's the most understated thing in the world, right? Like, I've got four kids, and sometimes I'm in a room, and I think I'm alone, and then one of my kids like, is like, Daddy? And I'm like, whoa, right? Like, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But when an angel shows up, you're like, whoa, like whole new level, whole new level. And so the angel shows up on the right side of the altar. Look at the detail that he gives on the right side of the altar. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Zechariah, so which side was the angel on? Where did he appear? Was he in the back of the room? Where was he? He was on the right side of the altar. The attention to detail that Luke transcribes for us to be certain of this account is incredible. So he says, on the right side of the altar of the incense, and Zechariah was troubled, and he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He's afraid. Why? Because there's an angel there that wasn't supposed to be there, that hasn't been there in the past. And he shows up there. And what's the angel say to him? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. First thing angels say to people in the Bible, don't be afraid. Why? Because people are afraid. So when you hear accounts of angels showing up to people and being like, oh, he was fat and chubby and he was just like, go with the Bible. When angels show up to people, they're afraid. And the first thing they say to him is, don't be afraid. And so... The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Look, he calls him by name. The angel knows exactly who he's talking to and exactly what he came for. Zechariah, your prayers, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? The one begging and pleading God for a child. The one years after years after years to say, Lord, give us a child. Lord, please be gracious to us. Be merciful to us. Give us a child. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, listen, he just gives him the facts. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You shall call him John. You will have joy and gladness. And then he starts to talk about John's purpose. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, if our Bibles could have hyperlinks, Elijah would have a little blue hyperlink right there. 
He'll come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now that hyperlink of Elijah right there would reference back to Malachi 4, 5, and 6, which if you know your Bible, that's the last Old Testament book in your Bible. 400 years before God shows up to speak to Zechariah, God had prophesied through Malachi that there would be one that would come, that Elijah would come, and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he would prepare a people, a people prepared for the Lord. You see, at this moment, Zechariah ought to be going, yes, it's happening. It's happening. God's promise is coming true. Yes. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. You see, if he would have known, which he does know, he's a priest, he knew the facts. So it's not a matter of not knowing, but it was a matter of believing. If Zechariah would have believed God would keep all of his promises, he would be eagerly awaiting the answer to that promise. But Zechariah responds differently. He says, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, with the scripture, you can dig and dig and dig, and when you dig in the scriptures, you get to unearth some pretty incredible things because you can't exhaust the scriptures. Now, when we just first look at Zechariah's statement, how shall I know this, it doesn't actually come off bad to us. But what Zechariah's statement maybe could be translated a little better would be, according to who? So Zechariah says to the angel, the angel says, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a child, your wife, is going to have a son, and you'll call him John. And Zechariah says, according to who? Like, and then look at what he says. He says, I'm an old man. Now he's smart. He's not dumb. He says, and my wife, she's advanced in years. <laughs> right? He's like, I'm leaving that old, old stuff out. He says, she's advanced in years. Zechariah says, according to who? Do you know me? Do you know who I am? Hello, the angel already said, Zechariah called him by name. He knows exactly who he is. But Zechariah, what he's doing right here is he's saying, in order for me to believe this promise that you say is going to happen, I'm going to need a sign. I'm going to need evidence. I'm going to need a little more assurance. How shall I know this? According to who? And look at the angel's response. The angel responds to him. He answered him, okay, I'm Gabriel. He's like, you want to know who I am? I know who you are. Let me tell you who I am. I'm Gabriel, and I 
stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel says, oh, Zachariah, you're like, according to who? Do you know who I am? Like, I'm old. That's impossible. And Gabriel says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you know who I am? Because I stand in the presence of God and God sent me to deliver this message. God sent me to give you this good news. We see in this scene that there's an announcement and then there's a response. Zechariah responds according to who and then Gabriel fills it in verse 20 and says, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. The response was unbelief. Gabriel announced it. Zechariah did not believe it. Zechariah wanted a sign. So Gabriel says, okay, here's your sign. Silence. You can't talk. The response of unbelief resulted in silence. Now that's incredibly powerful. Because this was good news. This is the thing you come out rejoicing, shouting, singing. And yet there's silence because of his unbelief. But you see, unbelief or sin never happens in a vacuum. It never affects just us when we respond in unbelief. It always has this permeating effect on those around us. And so look, he comes out, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. He's silent. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. This was good news, right? This is the news that Zechariah would have come out and said, guys, guess what? 400 years we've waited, but the time's now. God's on the move. But instead, there was silence. Now, before we bust on Zechariah too much, I think we can relate to him. Like, I took my daughter fishing this, uh, this Friday, and... We're in the boat, and I throw the bobber out. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Daddy, where's the fish? Right? But aren't we like that? Zachariah was like, Lord, we want a son. God, please give us a child. Years, that prayer went unanswered. The waiting makes us lose our eagerness. Because when our hope is placed in that answer, it's hard. 400 years, there's coming one in the spirit of Elijah who will prepare the way for the Lord. 
400 years, Israel waited. They lost their eagerness. What is it that the Lord has called you to? What is it that you've been praying for and seeking the Lord in? And you've been waiting. And you've been waiting. The first few times you're like, okay, I'm going to pray, eagerly wait for the Lord. Maybe it's for a coworker to come to know the Lord. Maybe it's for a family member to come to know the Lord. Maybe it's for God to do something in your family or in your marriage. And the waiting has caused you to become skeptical. The waiting has caused you to, to lose your eagerness and maybe even unbelief has snuck into your heart. That for God to begin to answer that, you'd say, according to who? You'd say, huh, I'm not sure that that's the Lord. I'm going to need more of a sign. I think it's really easy for us, just like Zechariah, churched people, people that know the facts, that when we have to wait, we lose our eagerness and unbelief begins to step in. There was an announcement. Zechariah responded in unbelief and the result was silence. It was silence for Zechariah. It was silence in sharing the message to those around, but then there was one more level of silence. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden. Do you see the silence? For five months, she kept herself hidden. She kept it quiet. She kept it silent. Unbelief has this rippling effect. And it causes silence. But then we get this next scene, scene number two, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, again, we've got Gabriel back on the scene. Gabriel's back sent from God on a mission. Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. So we've moved from the temple, from Jerusalem. We've now moved to Podunk. That's what this is. He's sent to Nazareth. Now, we're all familiar with Nazareth because it's, it's such an important part of the scriptures. But until Jesus busts on the scene from Nazareth, nobody knows of Nazareth. And so we've got from the city, priest, all the information, responses, disbelief, to now we show up in Nazareth in where, who, huh, what? What good can come from Nazareth? Like what? to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now that's again another hyperlink. David is key. There's a promise that was given in the Old Testament that there's going to be a ruler come from the house of David whose scepter will not depart for eternity. It will never depart. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Angel shows up. Mary's response, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, right? Angel shows up, 
fear, she's troubled, right? He's going to say that. Don't be afraid. Again, favored one. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, didn't know how to discern it. So the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your mother's, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Again, hyperlink, 2 Samuel 7. This is where God makes the promise. God makes the promise that there will come from the lineage of David one whose kingdom will never depart. So Mary, she hears this. Again, we've got announcement. Mary, guess what? The impossible is going to happen. You're going to have a son. We already know she's a virgin. Luke records that for us. She's a virgin. We're not going into birds and the bees, but you don't have a son if you're a virgin. And then we get the response. Zechariah responds, according to who? I need a sign to believe this. Mary's response, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, those two questions, how shall I know this and how can this be, seem very similar. But when you dive into the response that they have, Zacharias, we've already worked through, he wants more. For me to believe this, I have to have more. His heart position is unbelief. Mary's heart position is, how is this going to happen? It assumes Belief. Okay, you said it. It's going to happen. I just don't know how. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary's response is belief. She doesn't have all the facts. All the facts don't correlate to having faith, right? Now, we go to a court, and what does the court do? The court sets up to hear facts, right? Does anyone ever, ever, ever have all the facts? No. No one ever has all the facts. There's an element of our Christian faith that requires faith. It requires belief. Now, again, don't miss why Luke wrote this. Luke is not saying, hey, check your brain at the door to come in here and be a part of the church. Just check your brain, blind faith, take a jump. No, he's saying, I've written this so that you can have faith. I've recorded these facts so that you can have more confidence in your faith. But facts don't eliminate the necessity for faith. In your Christian life, you have to have faith. Scripture calls, says you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Mary believed God even when she didn't have all the facts. I remember talking to a friend of mine in high school, and I had shared the gospel with him multiple times, prayed for this guy, and I remember having a conversation with him, and he was like, Jared, why can't there just be proof? I remember chuckling a little bit, because I was like, what do you mean? What do you think I've been telling you about? Like, I've been telling you proof. Like, look at creation. Look at, like, look at the scriptures. Proof. But it wasn't the kind of proof that he wanted. 
It wasn't the kind of proof that he thought he needed. It was the proof like Zechariah wanted. Well, you said that, but I'm going to need more. I'm going to need my own proof. Mary doesn't respond that way. She responds in belief. Announcement, response. How do you respond? So I think the question that this text begs, how do you respond when you don't have all the facts? When God calls you to something and you're like, ah, I don't know how that's all going to work out. Do you sit back and go, according to who? God, I'm going I'm to need a little bit more before I take that step of obedience. Or do you respond like Mary? God, the promises of your word are true. You keep them. So I'm going to believe it. I don't understand all of it yet, but I'm going to believe it. Let me just assure you of this. Did you know that from the foundation of the earth, God has never not kept his word? Like, has that ever resonated with you? That God has never, ever, ever not kept exactly what he said he was going to do? Never. He always keeps his word. If God tells it to you, you can take it to the bank. It's true. Now, you may not understand it all, but it's true. The suffering you're facing, that God would use it for good? You're like, God, I don't understand it, but I know you're working something. I'm going to believe. God, that you're going to make all things right, that the injustice that has been done to me or that I've felt that you're going to make it all right, you're going to settle all accounts. God, I don't feel it, but you said it and it's true. I don't have all the facts, but I'm going to believe it. What is your heart's posture to the announcements that God gives you? He gives us a lot of announcements in his word. What is your heart's posture? When experience or the things around you go, uh, Gabriel, I don't know if you know this, I'm a virgin. Like, I don't know how that's going to happen. But her heart's posture was to believe. And then look at how he unpacks this for her. He answers her question. She, it was based in belief, and then he answers her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now catch this. This is the response. The announcement, her response in faith. And then look at what it leads to. She says, let it be. Let it be. There's an openness. But we're going to see in just a second that that openness leads her to sing. Just like Granger talked about that singing is commanded in the scripture, but it's the expression of emotion from our soul. You can read the Psalms and there's songs of lament. There's expression of emotion of, of their soul being torn up. 
pain and hurt. But you also read the Psalms and there's expression of emotion of their soul saying, this is my God and I'll praise him. Announcement, response, and then it leads to something in our life. Are you going to respond to God's announcement with belief or unbelief? Because it will lead to either silence in your life or singing. Look at how this continues. We see Luke again just recording all the things that are happening. Happening In those days, Mary arose and she went with haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. Now, do you see the response of faith? She's like, the Lord told me that Elizabeth is pregnant. I'm going. Like there is a, let it be to me, but I'm also going. And so she went to the house and immediately... When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. So John, full of the Holy Spirit, in the womb. Very pro-life statement right here, right? The baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So much to unpack there. Not enough time. But she already identifies the baby in Mary's womb as her Lord. Profound. Absolutely profound. Look at how Elizabeth ends right here. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Such a different response, right? Elizabeth is like, Mary, you're blessed because you believed it. You believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. You trusted God's faithfulness and believed. And then we see Mary's song. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Catch this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. Mary believed and her soul sang. So what do we do with this? How do you respond to this? You've got two parallels. You're going to make a decision. Zechariah, announcement, unbelief, silence. Mary, announcement, belief, singing. It's pretty simple. Two parallels that we see right there. 
Zechariah experienced silence as a sign of his unbelief. Mary experienced singing as the product of her belief. Zechariah asked for proof so that he could believe. Mary said, let it be because she believed. What's your story going to be? Will it be said of you, blessed is he or she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from God's word? Would you join me in praying that this week? God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to be like Mary, who depended on your faithfulness as the foundation for her belief. I just think there's an incredible warning for us. Like Zechariah, unbelief can creep so easily into our heart. And it makes us not eager. It makes us not attentive. And it makes us doubt. And ultimately, it silences the proclamation which God wants to put forth for us. God's word is full of promises. And Luke is recording the ultimate promise. That in Christ Jesus, you can be reconciled to him. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard this message. This is the message of the scripture, that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Maybe you're online and you're, you're listening that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And your response right now is like, according to who? Preacher, you don't know me. Preacher, you don't know the sin that I have. Jared, you don't know the secrets that I'm keeping. You don't know the things I've done according to who. There's no way God loves me. You don't know me. And what I want to tell you is that God knows you. And he sent Jesus Christ. The story of Luke records it. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to save you from your sins. Not because you were good enough, not because you cleaned yourself up, but simply because he loves you and he runs a relationship with you. Will you believe that message? Or will you continue to stiff arm and say, eh, I'm going to need more of a sign? See, the whole scripture is written in order that you might believe. But maybe you're sitting here and you're in church and there's a marriage struggling. There's a struggle with sin that you've had. There's suffering. There's cancer. There's sickness in your family. Maybe there's family dynamics that are messier than you could have ever imagined. And God's word says, hey, I want to bring restoration and healing and peace and comfort. And you go, okay, Jared, I heard you for everything else, but with that, according to who? Like I've prayed, God hasn't answered me. I've waited. I've begged. 
move. And he was silent. The message for you is that God hears your prayers. Just like he heard Zacharias and Elizabeth's. And God is working a good plan in your life. And he calls you to believe. And he calls you to walk in faith. He calls you to bank all of that on his faithfulness. To put all of that hope and trust in who he is and who he says he is. Because he's never broken a promise. He's never told a lie. And he sent his son to redeem you and to put you to work, to display his glory. And he's at work. Don't give up. Don't let unbelief creep into your heart. Believe in the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, you're good, and your promises are good, and we're so thankful that you've given us your word that tells us who you are, that tells us the things you've done, that displays your faithfulness. God, I pray that you would put belief in our heart. Lord, that as we sing this last song, Lord, it would be a response of our soul because we believe. God, I pray that it would be said of of those in this church that they were like Mary, that they were blessed because they believed that God would bring a fulfillment of what was promised. Lord, help us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us believe. Help us believe. Help us believe.